Fado Fado, a long time ago, in the time of fighting men and gods, there was a tale, they told it well, and it is remembered against the odds. Queen Maeve, the she-king of Connacht, sent her messengers to Ulster to barter for the Dun Cooley, the great brown bull. The bull was owned by Dara MacFriachran, and through her messengers Maeve promised Dara great riches and the friendship of her thighs if he would lend her the bull for one year to stud in her herd. Dara considered the offer. The richness and the generosity of Queen Maeve were known far throughout Ireland, and her offer truly was most generous. But Dara was a man of Ulster, ruled over by King Cahor, and as such, any dealings with Queen Maeve would need to be considered carefully. Cahor Macnessa was an unusual king, an unusual man. His name even was unusual, for he was Cahor Macnessa, named for his mother, not his father. And Nes, Nessa, Cahor's mother, well, she was a most unusual woman. As a child, she was called Asa, for she was so fair and so gentle to all. Asa had twelve foster families, and each family loved her more than if she had been a daughter of their own blood. It was so easy to love Asa. And as she grew into a woman, she grew to be beautiful, strong, and wise. One day, all twelve of Asa's foster families gathered together in one hall to feast, and to discuss the future of their beloved foster daughter. But woe unto them, for that night, as they all gathered beneath one roof, a band of roving, landless warriors came by. They saw the lights of the hall, they smelt the good food in the air, and they saw the fine horses standing outside, and they knew there was much treasure and plunder to be had. And with fire and sword, they killed all twelve of Asa's foster fathers. The loss of one parent is great. The loss of two almost more than a mortal heart can bear. But the loss of twelve. Asa had lost twelve fathers in one day. And that was more than Asa could bear. On the day that her foster fathers died, so did Asa. And born in her place was Ni-Asa. Not gentle. Not kind. Not easy. Ni-Asa. Nasa wanted vengeance. She wanted the blood price paid, and not paid in gold or silver or cattle or slaves. She demanded that blood pay for blood. And so she gathered her own group of warriors, took a sword in her own hand, and set off in search of all those who had attacked her foster families. And each one, when she found them, she slew them just as they had slain her family. Nasa, Nessa, was born into the world in blood and hatred. But just as Asa before her, she was clever. There had been travelling with the group of warriors, the group of brigands, a druid, a man called Cathbad, a man of an unusual nature. It was said he had not taken part in the slaughter himself, but he had stood by and witnessed it. Nasa did not know what she would do when she found this man, but she knew whatever it was, it would set great ripples rolling through time. As it happened, Nasa did not find Cathbad. 
he found her. One day when she was bathing in a lake, she saw a man on a hill watching her. She grabbed not for her clothes but for her sword and demanded he name himself. And he named himself to her, the druid Cathbad. She asked that as he was a druid and could see more than most, what was today good for? Was today a good day to die? And the druid replied, no, it was not a good day for dying, but it was a good day to conceive a king. And so Nasa, who had been Asa, lay with the druid Cathbad, and a child was conceived upon that day. The druid travelled with Nasa from then on. He was even at her side on her wedding day, to another man, to a king. Nine months after the day that they first met, Cathbad was with Nasa when the labour pains came upon her while she was crossing a river. Cathbad remarked that it was a pity Nasa could not wait until the next day to give birth to her child, for on the next day was destined to be born the king of kings. When Nasa heard this, she dragged herself to her feet and walked out into the river. There in the centre of the river was a great rock, and upon this rock Nasa sat. She clamped her legs tight about the rock, and even as the labour pains came upon her, as the child inside her struggled to get out, she held tight and would not let that child be born, not till night had fallen and dawn risen, not till the day when the king of kings was destined to be born. Only then did she release herself from the rock, only then did she let her son enter this world. And the child was named for that river, and named for its mother. The child was Cahor Machnessa. There had been prophecies about his conception, prophecies about his birth. And while Nasa did believe in prophecies, she also knew that nothing happened on its own. The gods help them who help themselves. And sometimes destiny needs a nudge in the right direction. At that time, the king of Ulster was Fergus MacRoish, the great warrior king with his great and magical sword. And while it was known that Fergus MacRoish did not lack for the company of women, he was yet to find one who could stay by his side. He was yet to find one to be his wife, to be his queen. And so Nasa put herself in the position to be noticed by Fergus. And Fergus saw her and was enchanted, was utterly captivated by her, by her grace, by her strength, by her wit and her wisdom. This was a woman born to be a queen. And so Fergus asked, would Nasa consent to be his wife, to be queen over Ulster? And Nasa tilted her head and pretended to think on the matter, and at last said yes, she would indeed marry Fergus. But she had a son already, and she was worried if she was to conceive a son with Fergus, there would be a rivalry between the two of them. One would be able to claim he was the son of a king, after all and the other not. Fergus promised Nasa that Cahor would be treated as though he were Fergus's own son. He would be shown every dignity. He would have every right that belonged to the son of a king. But Nasa still ummed and awed. Well, maybe there was one thing they could do. One thing they could do to make sure that Cahor would be seen as the equal to any future brothers he may have. If Fergus were to let Cahor be king of Ulster for a year just one year. Then, as he would be able to say that he truly had been a king himself, he would be equal to any sons of kings that might be born of Nasa.
Fergus at the time was almost drunk with love and lust, and the idea of an eight-year-old boy being king seemed so ludicrous that he agreed. The boy could be king for a year. What harm could it do? After all, everyone would know he was king only in name. And so, the child Cahor became king. And being only a child, of course he listened to his mother. His mother, who sat behind his throne and whispered advice on judgments, whispered which of the great warriors should be given which share of the treasure, who should be given gifts of land, who should be shown favour. Many of the great men of Ulster, who at first had been affronted that their king should offer up their kingdom to a child, found themselves profiting under the reign of Cahor Magnessa. And the judgments given by this boy king did seem to be wise and true. He did seem wiser beyond his years. So when the year was up and Fergus came to retrieve his throne, the people said no, and the members of the Red Branch Knights, whose pockets had grown full and heavy thanks to the generous gifts Nasa had recommended they be given, formed themselves into their formations, creating a circle around their boy king, swearing their oaths to him and preparing to protect him to the death. Fergus MacRoish could see what had happened, could see that he had well and truly lost the kingship of Ulster. And crafty Nasa, she whispered into the ear of Cahor, to the ear of the boy king, and he repeated her words to the crowd that were gathered. Fergus MacRoish, former king of Ulster, it is the role of the king to give good judgment and to do what is best for his kingdom. One year ago, you showed great judgment when you appointed me king in your place. And see how the kingdom has flourished under my rule. Such wisdom and foresight should be rewarded. I hereby grant you great lands in Ulster, great herds of cattle and great riches. And you, Fergus MacRoyce, shall be greeted with great honour and be seated upon my council, one of my most trusted advisers. And Fergus bowed his head. He may no longer be king of Ulster, but he would still act in her best interests. The people had chosen a new king, and if he were to challenge it, were to raise up an army, all that would happen would be that the soil of Ulster would be watered with her children's blood. Fergus was a man of his word, a noble man, and though he may no longer be king, he would always act in his people's best interest. And so... Cahor became king of Ulster, with Nessa, his mother, standing behind him, whispering her words to him. But as he grew, Cahor listened less and less to the words of his mother. He heeded her whispers less and less, and those whispers themselves grew fainter and fainter, until at last there was no guiding force standing behind the throne, and Nessa was gone. Oki Feidlik had become High King of Ireland after he slew the man who had married Nasa. This man had also claimed to be Cahor's father, and for the death of a father, Cahor had the right to claim a blood price. But Akified Lick, rather than go to war, offered Cahor instead the choice of his daughters. The young king, after all, was in need of a wife. Akified Lick lined up his daughters, and Cahor stepped in front of them inspecting them like a man at market about to purchase a mare. All were beautiful in their own way, but there was one who he could not get out of his mind. The tall one with the long face and the red-gold hair. The one they called Maeve. 
When he stopped in front of her, she stood with her arms crossed and held his gaze. That one, he thought. That one has spirit, and I am just the rider to break that wild filly. Maeve held his gaze. So you're the famed Cahor Macnessa, boy king of Ulster. Though I came to kingship as a boy, I assure you, madam, I am all man, said Cahor, displaying his muscular calves. Well, then, man, king, heed my words before you make your choice. I have sworn I shall never have a husband who does not match three conditions. I will have no man who is not as brave as me. I will have no man who is not as generous as me. And I will have no man who has even an ounce of jealousy in him. Cahor either did not hear or did not heed Maeve's words. For the two then were married, and the marriage was brief. Cahor, he did not match up to Maeve's three conditions. And Maeve did not match Cahor's idea of a wife. He sought a woman content to stand behind the throne, not one who sat to sit upon it. And so quickly the marriage came to an end. And Cahor chose another of Ucky's daughters, Clothru. Clothru was Queen of Connacht. Such a union united the two kingdoms. But still the rejection of Maeve stung at Cahor. He felt his honour, his reputation had been damaged by this woman, and he would not allow that to stand. Who did that girl think she was? Well, he would show her that she had tangled with the wrong man. No one said no to King Cahor. He had been dismissed, rejected, publicly humiliated. Well, that was more than he could bear. His wounded pride cried out to be avenged. And so, when the nobles of Connacht came for the wedding, Cahor scanned the crowds for the long face and red-gold hair of Maeve, but she was not to be seen. Hardly surprising that she had chosen not to show up to the wedding of her ex. And so, while all others were busy, Cahor crossed the border between Ulster and Connacht alone. He sought out Maeve, alone. All her family and attendants had gone to the wedding of her sister. She was bathing, naked and unarmed in a stream. There was no one there to hear her scream, but still Cahor covered her mouth as he pressed the blade to her soft flesh. He didn't kill her. No, that would have been too kind. Cahor wanted her to feel humiliated, to feel defiled, to feel owned and controlled by him. And when he was done, he adjusted his clothes and went back to his wedding feast, leaving Maeve alone, bruised, bloodied, but not broken. When steel is hammered upon the anvil, it doesn't break, it becomes strong. Something in Maeve hardened and changed that day, just as Asa became Niasa, Nasa, the day her family was slain. So too did Maeve harden and change. She would be queen, no. She would be she, king of Connacht, the land where she was born. For Maeve was born between the worlds. Her mother gave birth to her in the cave of cats, the entrance to the other world. Maeve was born with one foot in this world and one foot in the next. She was linked to the land. She would be she, king. And she would see to it that Cahor lost everything he most loved, everything he prized. And he would be remembered. 
but not remembered as a great king. He would be remembered as a coward, as a sneak, as a vindictive, misogynistic prick. That Maeve swore to the water and the earth and to herself. And Maeve did indeed become she king of Connacht. And time passed, but it did not heal. Maeve hated Cahor. Cahor hated Maeve. And so you can understand why Dara had to weigh up the great treasures that Maeve offered him in exchange for the Dung Coolie. But at last he said yes. For one year Maeve could have the brown cow. The riches she offered in exchange were more than he could spend in a lifetime. Dara and the messengers of Connacht sealed the deal with a toast. And then another toast. And a third toast to follow that, because some things are best done in threes. But wine can muddle minds and loosen lips and cause tongues to say things that, while true, are perhaps best unsaid. Because one of Maeve's messengers slurred out, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a good thing you agreed to the deal, because <laughs> if, you, if you hadn't agreed to, to lend the cow to her, Maeve would have just come up here with an army and taken it. Taken my cow, roared Dara. I'd like to see her try. Why, if she even tried to set so much as a foot in Ulster, the Red Branch Knights would be on her like a shot. The Red Branch Knights? Oh, sure, Queen Maeve would crush them under the wheels of her chariot, not even stopping. Oh, I'd like to see her try. We'd teach that hussy a thing or two if she came up here. Oh, would you now? We would. Well, let's see then. We will. And just like that, war was declared between Ulster and Connacht. Well, thank you for listening to that second episode of me trying to tackle the tawn. This is my telling of the tawn, so I've been magpieing from various different versions of stories and various different sources, some of which you can find in the episode description below. I'm very much being a magpie on this, uh, taking bits and pieces from all over the place and then throwing in a bit of my own stuff. In the episode description, you can also find links to uh, the various social medias if you'd like to get in touch. Um, say if you're enjoying this telling of the tone, if you're not, what is your favourite rendition of the tone and who is your favourite character? There's also a link to the Patreon if you are really, really enjoying this and would like to help support the podcast. They'll be greatly appreciated. And a huge thanks to the patrons who are already supporting. It really means a lot. Thank you so much for continuing to support me. And with that, I will bid you adieu until next time. Stay safe. Goodbye. <laughs>